Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. A joy to be with you again. And our topic is being strengthened. And specifically what we're talking about is being strengthened in the Spirit. What is that process of being strengthened? To set this up a little bit, I'll say, have you ever had the experience of feeling weak in some way that you wish you weren't weak? Have you ever said to yourself, don't eat that, and then your hand goes out and you eat it? Or have you ever made a New Year's resolution and then find it difficult to keep up? Uh, have you ever promised something to someone? Uh, you know, I'm not going to bring that up. And then whoops, oh, you know. Uh, it seems to me that it's part of the human experience to, to feel weak. And so how we are to be strengthened it seems like a very important topic. So I invite you to join us tonight and shall we open with a prayer, good friends. Yes. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. We pray for your presence among us as we open up the pages of your word, understanding your process and your regeneration that you would have us go through. Amen. Very good to be with you, friends, sending out love to those of you online and those of you getting the audio. Uh, this was the longest break we've ever had in the five and a half years that we've existed to have three weeks off, but I feel well rested and, and raring to go. So let's start with a... Um, Let's start with a passage in the Ephesians. So this is in the epistles. Go to the right from the four Gospels. And you'll go through Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and you get to Ephesians. And there's a verse in here that was part of the spark for this topic tonight. And it talks about being strengthened. Let's pick up at verse 14 uh, if you're there. Chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sorry, 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Okay, so Paul is uttering a prayer, and what is his prayer? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Aha, okay, very interesting phrase there. Okay, so Paul's prayer is that God would grant the Ephesians, according to the riches of God's glory, that they be strengthened with might by or through his spirit in the inner man. Very, very interesting. Uh, so you notice the passive of being strengthened. You know, that's what our topic... It's not strengthening yourself or growing stronger. It's being strengthened is, is what we're talking about. And Paul's prayer is that God would grant us, presumably it extends to all of us, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And so what is the strength of the inner self? We know more about physical strength. You know, we can... We can feel whether we're physically strong or, or weak and changing values every day, it seems like. Uh, but what is it to be strengthened? How would you tell 
what would it be to be strengthened with might in the inner self? And who is it that does that strengthening? Or what, what's the agency? It's by or through his spirit. What is that? What, what is his spirit? And how does that strengthen us? So that's something we'll be thinking about tonight. Let's keep reading a few more verses there. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love... I like that little passage because it has faith and love very prominently in there. And that where is faith going to dwell? It's not in your mind. It's in your heart, right? Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, all the, filled with all the full. We don't know what that is, but what is the fullness of God? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go on. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I see. So he has the capability, doesn't he? Aren't we several adverbs higher than just, <laughs> just a barely sufficient amount? Can you read that again, dear reader? That was fun. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Yes. According to the power that works in us. I see. That must be the power that we're talking about a power that works in us that comes from his spirit and that strengthens us with might in the inner self. Okay, go on. Uh, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yes, okay, so that is Paul's prayer, a prayer that people be strengthened with might in the inner man and that happens through the spirit and it's this power that works in us. Okay, so that's sort of a platform of what we're talking about. What was striking me in looking at these scriptures um, was that there are two <coughs> kinds of strength, it seems to me, that the Bible talks about. There's a kind of strength from ourselves, and there's a kind of strength from God. So this is part of what we're exploring tonight. And how do we get that strength? What's the process of getting that strength that comes from God? I want to look for a moment at people who had strength from themselves. Let's go all the way to the left in Genesis, the beginning of your Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Very interesting statement. Can't get there. Okay, 6 verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days. Oh. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now Swedenborg explains this passage. Let's look at the next verse because it'll give us a little clue about what's going Is that a good thing? It sounds good. These people are strong. They're mighty, right? They're, they're mighty people of old. Is that a good thing? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yes. So you mean there was some good and some evil? No. It, it's 
it's pretty every, extreme, isn't yeah. it? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So I think what it's talking about in verse 4 is a bad thing. I think, I think that's a bad thing. There were giants in the earth in those days. Now, these are referred to several different ways. They're called the Nephilim here in some translations. There are later passages where they're referred to as the Anakim. Uh, you remember when the children of Israel try to go in and they spy out the Holy Land? And a number of the spies were terrified because they said they saw giants there. And they said, you know, they saw us as being like grasshoppers and we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves. They, they were huge and very powerful. But the other two people said, no, I think, we, I think we can do this. And there are also people called the Rephaim. These are all Hebrew plurals. And the Rephaim, um, again, were, were giants. They're referred to in the prophets. So the idea, and Goliath was one of these, obviously. Uh, so there were giants, and Swedenborg explains these as meaning people who are powerful from themselves, powerful in themselves, powerful from their love of self. Their power is not good. So it sounds good that they became mighty and so on. Actually, this idea of the sons of God marrying the daughters of men is not, does not have a good meaning in Swedenborg's interpretation. And that's why this wickedness is so great that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So that's the opposite kind of strength than the type of strength that Paul was praying that the Ephesians have. Now what I'd like to do is just sort of swing through some Bible passages. I think I've got these roughly in order that just deal with strength of either of these different kinds. And what I'm looking for in particular is are there little clues to how you get the, the good kind of strength? What is that? Let's turn to the right and go through the five books of Moses, Joshua, and Judges. So I want to go to Judges chapter 7. Okay, and we'll read at some length here. Why don't we just have some fun, let the, let the reader go for a while. Uh, let's start at verse 1 there. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. Okay, so the Gideon is with the Israelites, and then on the opposite side are uh, the Midianites who are their enemies. And there's going to be a fight. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Too many? Your army's too large? Is there a general in the history of the planet who ever said, it's too many people? I, you know, let's cut down the size of the army. Is that normal behavior in, in military settings. And why is that too many? Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Ah, you see, this is the issue. It's not going to be my own hand. You see, we, we uh, overpowered them. There were many of us. Uh, we conquered them. Uh, no, it's so the Lord says, too many soldiers, because I don't want you saying my own hand saved me here. Very important for what this being strengthened has to do with. Go on. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, 
Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. That's right. And 22,000 people left immediately and there were 10,000 left. And then the Lord said in verse 4, there's still too many. So go down to the water and he prepares a sign that everyone who laps the water in verse 5 there, that person you'll set by themselves. And so there were just 300 people in verse 6 who met that test. And look at verse 7. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now this 300, you know, that's, that's a tiny little, to, re, to go down from 22, 32,000 troops to 300 is a 0.1%, is below 0.1%. It's a very small, you know, get rid of 99.9% .9 of the people. Okay, what is going on here? So they all took trumpets, right? Yeah. And look at verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you were afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Shall be what? Strengthened. Whoops. Oh, they will? Okay. Uh -huh. So you'll hear what they say. Interesting. He's going to hear, go down in the camp, he's going to hear what the enemy is saying, and his hand will be strengthened by what he hears. Hmm. Okay, go on. Then he went down. Oh, sorry, then he went, yeah, then yep. he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their mm. camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. It creates quite a mental image in my mind of just this vast, ridiculously vast army. And here's these 300 people. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. Oh. He said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. And listen to what his companion, these are the enemies. One enemy has a dream. Barley loaf comes in, trashes the tent. What does the other person say? Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Now, we might have been wondering what words he could possibly hear down there that would strengthen his hand. But when he overhears the enemy telling the other person, that's because Gideon is going to beat us all. And the Lord has already given him the victory here. Well, yes, I think he felt a little better about that. Go on. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel. Isn't that nice? So it wasn't like, by my own hand, I've beaten the Midianites. No, he, he, he worships. He, Thank you, Lord. You know, that, that's miraculous. I, I, you know, it's amazing. Go on. He returned to the camp of Israel. 
and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Isn't it interesting that he takes this statement, and it is, from the enemy as truth. And part of what makes that statement seem so true is that what does the enemy gain by saying it? You know, and, and he doesn't know Gideon's overhearing. You know, he has no idea that the person he's talking about is right within earshot. Uh, so you probably know the story. He divides them all into companies, puts a trumpet and these empty pitchers with, with torches or lamps inside the pitchers, and then they all break them and they all sound the trumpet. And the Midianites think they're surrounded by enemies and they all slaughter each other. And there's this massive uh, rout. Okay, that is a story very clearly about how we're strengthened. And isn't it interesting that he was strengthened by words, by a dream and by words. What did we read earlier? Paul was praying that the Ephesians be strengthened with might through his spirit, through his spirit. See, spirit is one of those words that has to do with truth and words have to do with truth. So there's something about truth that is involved in this strengthening of us in the inner self. All right, that was good fun. Let's turn to the right and go to 1 Samuel. Comes up pretty soon. Go to chapter 23, if you will, and we'll pick up at the 14th verse. David is in hiding. He's been anointed, if I'm right about the timeline here. He's been anointed uh, king, but Saul is still king. And he's a renegade on the run, and Saul hates him and seeks his life. And he's just out in the wilderness with 600 men, as it turns out. Uh, pick up at verse 14, if you would. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Yes, it's rather an unpleasant situation when you're a, a young person and the king of your country is spending all the resources of the nation to try to kill you <laughs> personally. It, it's not a nice situation. Okay, what happens next? And then Saul has a son named Jonathan, who you remember is very good friends with David. Then Jonathan, Saul's son arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Oh, he strengthened his hand. In, How did he do that strengthening? And in, in God, God. In God. And you remember God is usually a name associated with truth. Uh, the Lord is with love and so on. So again, it has something to do with truth. And what does he do? How does he strengthen his hand in God? He said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. Now, how does he know? If the hand of Saul's not going to find you. Don't, don't worry about Saul. He's not going to find you. And what does he go on to say? You shall be king of Israel, and I shall be next to you. Mm. Even my father Saul knows that. Wow! It's the <laughs> same deal, isn't it? Saul knows that you have already won, my friend. It strengthens you. And what strengthened him? It was words... It was truth, unexpected truth, right? That's what strengthened him. Just like going into the camp and he says, oh, no, the Lord has given the whole battle into the hand of Gideon. 
That's what strengthened him, was that truth. And here, what strengthens David, it, what a powerful thing to be told by Saul's son, he's not going to get a hold of you. Okay, I'm still in doubt at that point. I just think, well, he might. How do you know? And then the next thing he says is, you'll be king over Israel. I think, well, I, I don't know about that. And then he says, and I'll be next to you. My loyalty is with you rather than my father. And by the way, and this to me is the kicker, Saul knows it very well. You know, he, he knows. That's why he's jealous. That's why he's trying to kill you, because you're going to win. So that strengthens his hand. So you see, strength has something to do with the truth and love, doesn't it? The truth stated with love. Okay, uh, let's go to the right, and we'll go through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Let's go to Second Chronicles. Chapter 11. There's a very interesting juxtaposition in here. Second Chronicles 11. There's this uh, gentleman by the name of Rehoboam. Okay. Mm -hmm. So look at verse 17 in Second Chronicles 11. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for Yeah, this three is the years. son of the great king Solomon, the great king of, with all that wisdom. And so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years. Because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for oh, three Oh, so what years. strengthened him was that he was living well. He walked in the way of David and Solomon. That's what strengthened him, right? Mm-hmm. So how many verses later is the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Is chapter 12, verse 1. What do we read there? Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself. Oh. That he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel <laughs> along with him. Oh, I see. So wait a minute. What's the difference here? He was strengthened by others in 11, verse 17. Right? They made him strong, and they walked in the way of David and Solomon. But when he established the kingdom then, who did he strengthen? He strengthened himself, forsook the law of the Lord, and all Israel with him. So you see what I'm saying? There's two different kinds of strength. The strength that comes from the Lord, might in the inner man, and so on, from the Spirit. And there's Nephilim style, you know? Don't they have products in the stores now? Nephilim strength? Haven't you seen that? Oh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's like industrial or something. Uh, <laughs> so this is the wrong kind of strengthening. He, he strengthened himself, forsook the law of the Lord, and all Israel with him. Okay, so that's what you're not supposed to do. Good. Uh, oh, let's turn into the Psalms, shall we? So keep going to the right. You go through Job, get into the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 18. Psalm Let's 18. read verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 18. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. My what? My strength. Oh, the Lord is my strength. Okay, I will love you. By the way, whose psalm is this? What does it say there in this the heading? This is to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Oh, this is David. Go on. A servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? So he was just delivered from Saul, 
Jonathan had told him it was going to happen. Now it's happened. And what does he say? I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is his strength. He was just a youth. What power did he have when he went against Goliath? You know, did he have mighty weapons and huge armor? No, he was just a kid with a sling. Go on. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, my strength. in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Yes, my stronghold. That's so nice. All right. And look later in that same psalm. Let's pick up at verse 29. This is David still. For by you, I can run against a troop. Oh, by my God, I can leap over a wall. Yes, by my God. You see, this is the kind of strength that comes from the Lord. It's hammering it, isn't it? Go on. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Okay, we've heard a couple of times in shields just since we got into the Psalms here. Okay, go on. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? I love that. Isn't that great? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Yes, that's right. So it is God who arms me with strength. That's the point. There's a kind of strength that comes from the Lord and a kind of strength that comes from ourselves. Rehoboam, when he strengthened himself, he abandoned the law of the Lord. Uh, but when he and his people were walking in the way of the Lord and way of David and Solomon, uh, then he was strong. Then he was strengthened. That's the contrast the scripture seems to be making for us again and again. Let's look at Psalm 52. Just too much fun. I've missed you, good friends. It's so much fun. Okay, let's see. Uh, just let's look at verse 7 in Psalm 52. Here is the man who did not... Oh, let's look at verse 1. Why do you boast in evil, O oh mighty man? Yes, oh, you big Nephilim with your big evil, uh, you know. <laughs> Go on. The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Oh. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. That's a bad thing? Selah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. Mm. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying... Mm. Listen to this. Here is the man who did not make God his strength. There it is. Could it, you spell it out more clearly? That's right. But, but what did he do? But trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Look at that. Strengthened himself in his wickedness. How clear is that? You didn't make God your strength. You strengthened yourself in your wickedness. So we certainly see that Scripture is teaching this contrast. Do we not? Good, good friends. Let's go to Isaiah. So turn to the right. You'll go through Proverbs and various other little... Bits and pieces, and we'll go to Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to pick up at verse 28 there. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. Mm. He gives power to the weak. Oh, he does? Oh, huh. So he gives power. Well, does that mean that it's a good thing to be weak? He, he gives power to the weak. Interesting, okay. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you, friends. And isn't that beautiful? Uh, it's specifically the weak and those who have no might that he increases strength. So this begins to hint at the fact that even if we realize our own powerlessness, we're more in the market for the Lord's strengthening than if we're strengthening ourselves and feeling that we're so, so mighty. Um, uh, look, let's go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. I want to go to Luke chapter 22, a moment in the crucifixion. It's very striking. He's praying for the cup to be removed from him. Jesus does not want to go through the crucifixion. And then in Luke 22, verse 43. 22, verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Yes, and this angel strengthens him. And yet still in the next verse, his sweat drops as great, falls as great drops of blood. He's in an agony and everything, and yet he's being strengthened by this angel. So Jesus was being strengthened. Part of what he was going through in his life in this world was being strengthened. And there was an angel who comes and strengthens him to get through the crucifixion. That's very striking to me. Uh, oh, let's look at, let's go through Acts to the epistle to the Romans. And let's look at chapter 4, verse 20. How about that? 4.20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Ah, he was strengthened in faith. I wonder if that's like being strengthened in the spirit that we read about. He was strengthened in faith. Uh, all these things are, if you know Swedenborg's map of one side is of good and the other side is of truth, all these things are on the truth side in an interesting way, aren't they? Uh, was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Uh, go on. And being fully convinced. This is about Abraham. Did I say that? Go on. No. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore... It was accounted to him for righteousness. Yes, and then it says it's not just written for his sake, but for, for us as well. Um, so uh, he was strengthened in faith and gave glory. So just a little, another little hint that it has to do with truth. And so let's go back to Ephesians again. So you go through First and Second Corinthians and Galatians. You get back to Ephesians where we were in chapter 3 at the beginning of the evening. And uh, so let's just read this again. Let's start at 
verse 14. We've got a few more scriptures I want to read, but not many. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's faith again. That, mm-hmm. that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. That is, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's right. So it's faith and love that gives us that strength. Look over, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Do you remember how some of those passages in the Psalms, I believe it was, talked about a shield and that kind of thing? Uh, look at this at the end of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. There it is. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. What is that? How do we do that? And in the power of his might. Well, how would we do that? Put on the whole armor of God. Oh, there's armor involved. Okay. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, I see. There's not a flesh and blood situation. We need to be strengthened with might in the inner self. Okay, go on. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But Paul, I don't understand what you mean by this whole armor of God. What do you mean? I mean, it sounds great. Protection from evil spirits. But but what does it look like? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Sure, 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 sure. But what exactly (laughs) is the armor? Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Oh, Having girded, wait, wait a minute. My waist is something physical. Truth is something non-physical. How do I do that? So I'm supposed to. St- so this must be about strengthening, being strengthened with might in the inner self. These are things that strengthen us with might in the inner self. Having our waist girded with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, righteousness, which would be living by that truth. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Probably means reading the Bible. Go on. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Oh, faith. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Okay, good. And take the helmet of salvation. and the Oh, the helmet. Oh, that sounds good. I'd love to have a helmet of salvation. Mm-hmm. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So what are these things we're being told? Are we not being told that we're supposed to have truth and we're supposed to live by that truth, right? We're supposed to have our waist girded with truth, the breastplate of the righteous things that we do, prepared in the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And look at that final verse of 18 there. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Oh, not just prayer and supplication to the Spirit, but in the Spirit. Didn't it say something about being strengthened with might in the inner man? Through the Spirit. Okay, so praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Yes. Good. Isn't that a great little, little riff there on the armor of God? So that's some idea of what we need to be strengthened. Let's turn to the right, and you'll go through things that start with a T, and you'll get to Hebrews. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews, that's backwards. And this is about Jesus. It's, Hebrews is the most wonderful epistle. Oh, no, Romans. Okay. Hebrews. Hebrews. Yeah, the other way. That's okay. right. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at verses 4, 15 and 16. It's been talking about Jesus as the high priest, as the ultimate high priest. For we and do, look at this beautiful statement in 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Yes, in the grand language of the old King James, a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's right. Didn't the Lord need strengthening when he was about to go through the crucifixion? He, he wasn't born with all this might, you know, at all levels of himself. So he... he, he he knows what it feels like to be weak. Go on. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, come boldly to the throne of grace. That's how we will get help, is by being humble, but boldly asking the Lord for help. Let's turn to the left, actually. I'm sorry, I skipped one back here. Can you go back through things that start with a T and so on until you get to 2 Corinthians? It's pretty large, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. And let's look at chapter 12. This happens to be the very same spot where Paul talks about being lifted up to the third heaven and hearing ineffable things that he cannot relate. He went to paradise and so forth. And... So it's astounding. Wow, you went to the third heaven. But look at what he says in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest, you, I, lest I be exalted above measure. Have any of you experienced a thorn in the flesh? Has your flesh ever bothered you a little bit in ways <laughs> that you can't quite entirely cure or get over or something. So Paul has some thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, you know, to keep him humble uh, because he's had these amazing visions. He's been up to the third heaven and heard things that you, you, you can't even put into words. Now, how did Paul react to that lovely thorn in his flesh? Concer concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Yes, and I imagine three times there means all <laughs> or a great deal. Go on. And he said to me... Oh, this is what the Lord said back to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My, str my strength? Wait, that's like one of those oxymoron things, isn't it? My strength is made perfect in weakness. How does that work? Go on. Therefore, most gladly... This is Paul talking now again. Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you hear that? I'll boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The, the weaker I am, the more of the power of the Lord I can have in myself. Oh, that's, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? 
but it's just so excellent. Go on. I have become a, become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For oh, I have, I'm sorry. You want to go back to verse 10. Oh, sorry. That's therefore, right. I, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Now, this is a pretty advanced state, I have to say. Uh, taking pleasure in these, is that what you really said? Mm -hmm. You know, in needs, who I love, you know, being really starving, hungry or something. Uh, it's a very unusual thing to say, isn't it? But for Christ's sake, he takes pleasure in all these things. Why is that? For when I am weak. Drum roll. Then I am strong. Oh, man, that doesn't make logical sense. When I'm weak, then I am strong. That's not strengthening yourself in wickedness. So we think back to some of those earlier verses that we read and where it said that the Lord will give this power to the weak and those who have no might, you know, and so on. It actually sounds like that is part of the deal. Like if you realize you don't have strength, then the Lord is in a position to give you more strength than you might have had on your own. Mm. So that's a fabulous passage, is it not, good friends? And the final thing I wanted to read is all the way to the book of Revelation. I love how often the Lord takes us from one end of the Bible to the other. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. This is all the way at the end of your Bible. And there's a statement here to the people of Philadelphia. 3 verses 7 and 8. This is the Lord speaking to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Yes, and the way Swedenborg explains that phrase, you have a little strength, is that you know that you have no power of yourselves. Why they have this is because they only have a little strength. They realize they only have a little strength. That's what is needed to have strength from the Lord. Okay, so what I think is going on here, uh, let me attempt to summarize this in some way. An important thing to realize, good friends, as I'm sure many of you realize, is that there are at least two layers or two parts to ourselves. What was it saying there? What was that first passage we read about being strengthened with might in the inner self? There's an inner self and there's an outer self. When you strengthen yourself in wickedness, your outer self gets stronger. So what is needed is to have strength in the inner self but that seems to involve a sense of weakness. Isn't that what Paul was talking about? When I am weak, then I am strong. I take pleasure in my infirmities. I prayed three times for the Lord to take this thing away. But lest I be exalted because of the revelations, the Lord sent me this messenger from Satan to buffet me, uh, to, to keep me humble, keep me centered, like, okay, thank you, because uh, I take pleasure in this because I realize that when I am weak, then I am strong. Then the Lord gives me his power. So there's sort of two ways of rolling, I would say. Uh, 
Here's a picture of one of those on the flip chart. Those of you getting the audio, I'll try to describe this to you. It has six stages. Number one, try. Means we put in some kind of effort. Number two, we succeed. I know this never happens, but just bear with me. Number two, we succeed. This is what we'd like to have happen, right? Number three, we try some more because we're encouraged because it worked. So we try some more. And lo and behold, we succeed some more. It's great. Therefore, number five, we credit ourselves. We must be doing it. When I try twice as hard, I get twice the results. It's awesome. Six, become giant ego monster. <laughs> now this is not, and what I did on the side here was I drew a little graphic. For those of you just getting the audio, they're just little circles. But next to number one, it starts out pretty small. And then at each step, it gets larger and larger and larger because the ego is getting bigger here. We tried. Oh, when we succeeded, it got a little bigger. So we try some more because we're feeling a little, little better about ourselves. And then we succeed some more, so it gets bigger. And then we credit ourselves, and we become a giant ego monster. By the way, this is the Nephilim tra training program. If any of you want to become giants or Anakim or Rephaim, this would be a good model to follow. This is what the Lord would love to give us strength. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He'd love to give you all the power in, in heaven and earth. But he doesn't want to do this. This is no good for you to have your ego all giant and turn into an Nephilim and a monster and everything. Uh, that's not what he wants. So with most humans, this is what I surmise is what he does instead. This is the process. See if this seems familiar to you. Number one. Try a little. Number two, experience beginner's luck and feel encouraged. Isn't beginner's luck an amazing thing? I mean, have you experienced that? It's amazing. Sometimes the first time, wow, hey, I got a hole in one. You know, it's amazing how sometimes the first time we try something, because we didn't have much ego in it, because we don't think we're going to be any good at it. So the first time we try it, we actually succeed a little bit, and that encourages us because we think, oh, great. But the ego gets a little larger in our ego size, you know, graphic there. Our ego gets a little larger because we experience some luck and we feel, you know, we're not really hugely full of ourselves, but we succeeded. So that was pretty good. So number three, we redouble our efforts because, hey, I'm making some progress. This is where the good part happens for fail or plateau. Have you ever experienced that? You put in more effort, seems like no matter how hard you try, it's never enough. It should be your epitaph. It says they tried, they put in an enormous, ridiculous amount of effort, but it was not nearly enough. <laughs> Is that sort of the human condition? Doesn't it feel like that's what we're all doing here? But there's a reason for that. You see, when we redouble our efforts, then we're getting a little puffed up because we're excited because we're like, hey, it's working and this is great. Maybe I'm having success. Maybe I'm good at this. Maybe I'm a natural. You know, who knows? And then whoops, four, we fail or we just plateau. The plateau is an interesting one because you put in more and more effort and you get sort of slightly less return, you know? <laughs> so you cannot tell yourself that it was your own strength 
You can't do it. It's so frustrating. The first 80 times you go through this chart, or 800, it's so frustrating because you feel like, well, I'm doing okay, and then it's like, whoops, no. Actually, you're terrible at it, you know? You fail, or you just get stuck and you can't move ahead, uh, and you get nowhere. And look at what happens to the ego, though. Ego gets a little smaller, right? Now, that's, that's why the Lord allows stage four, because the ego gets a little smaller. Otherwise, you turn into a giant ego Nephilim monster, right? We don't want that. So the ego gets a little smaller. Five, fall into despair. Now, I'm not saying that happens every time, but I'm saying in the, in the course of time, you know, when you work at something, I don't know if every, any of you have ever had the pleasure of being in a relationship. Relationships are fascinating things. You can put in decades of effort and feel like you're still stuck at the same place or something sometimes in, to, in regard to certain issues. Or what, it's just an amazing feeling of powerlessness. And sooner or later, you get to the point where you just like, no matter what I try, if you loop around this a few times, in reality, you loop around a few times, you try this, you try that, you go to the left, you go to the right, you, you know, whatever. And, uh, and it's still not working. You're not sure if you're going backwards or you're just stuck or maybe you never left zero or whatever's happening and you fall into despair and then your ego gets much, much smaller. Uh, you're a failure. You, you, you didn't do it. And then, number six, we don't actually schedule this. There's nothing you have to do. Don't worry about it, friends. You just wait a while like you do nothing because you failed. Right? And then, number seven, you get a miraculous bit of strength. And what's beautiful about this is that it doesn't, in a way, when seven comes along, I made the circle even smaller. When a little strength comes in, because you saw yourself fail and you stayed with the failure, then when something works, you're like, well, that was lucky because I already know I'm actually not good at this. So how did that happen? Why did that come in? What's interesting, one thing that's interesting about this to me is that this is exactly the same thing that, that I understand happens to us physically. Uh, this is what happens. Like if, if you're literally working out with weights and so on, um, you do some work and so it gets you a certain result, let's say, and so you redouble your efforts. But when you, when you work hard enough at anything, whether it's physical, spiritual, psychological, whatever, uh, actually how you get stronger is you go to the point of failure. That, that's the point at which it all happens. I don't know if you've ever done, I was recently in a situation where I was, where I was exercising and I honestly felt like I just wanted to cry, you know, like it was just too hard. I can't do it, you know. I think it's, it's built into the system that you'll have, if you really care about something and you're working at it, when you can't do it, it, it's just painful, you know, and you feel that despair, like, I'll never get it. Uh, <laughs> it's a little personal anecdote. When I was a kid, I uh, <laughs> used to take piano lessons, and I was really pretty good. I've had sort of music genes from both sides of my parents, but every single time I had a new piece to learn, 
I would all after three days, I'd, I'll never get it, you know, it just <laughs> every single time. And then in a few days, oh, I, I'd be doing all right, you know, and then the next one, I'll never do it. And then here we go again. So lots of the, and that's how you get strong. It's the same thing how you get strong physically, because think about physical strength. When you do some weightlifting or something like that, you get to the point uh, where you do that last set of reps, you know, you, you can't, you're at, the, you're at the point of failure. And when you go home, I don't know how you feel, do you feel stronger than when you walked in? I feel like I can hardly walk, you know? <laughs> I feel like if somebody, you know, if there was a strong breeze, I would just go over, you know? <laughs> Uh, it's an experience of profound weakness, you know? And then what happens about three in the morning, two nights later, the muscle fairy shows up and, 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 you know, and you magically get this little bit of strength. But it wasn't, it, and of course it was according to what you did and you put in your effort and yet the failure and the weakness is built into it so that we don't become Nephilim. So, you know, I mean, you can still do it if you want. Uh, but the Lord tries to prevent us from doing the Nephilim path, the, the st being st strengthening yourself, because that's strengthening yourself in wickedness. It's strengthening the lower self. And the Lord does not want that. So can you see that you go through this type of process? And by the way, the great, you know, in, in Hebrews 12, verses 2, you don't have to go there if you don't want but uh, there's a wonderful statement that says, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. You know, they had the expression, heavy is sin. Seems to be going out of style, but, but when I was younger, you, you'd hear that, heavy is sin, you know? It's interesting that Swedenborg says from his experience of the spiritual world that sin actually is heavy and it sinks by its own gravitational force into hell. Uh, evil is actually heavy. So a beautiful thing is that the ideal, we've been given the ideal, my friends, for the low, low price of nothing, we've been given the ideal set of weights for the strengthening of the inner self, which is the weight of your lower self. The lard, as it were, the... The avoir du poids, the sheer mass of your lower self is the best inner spirit strengthening weight program, trying to lift your inner self and failing daily is a great exercise program for the inner self. It's amazing the way the Lord designed it, that your own weight, the weight of your own outer self is what the Lord can use to strengthen you and you know when you're lifting away, it's not the up move, it's the slower down, you know, it's the resisting the fall of it uh, that actually does you the most good, they say. Uh, it's the same way with the weight of our outer self and the evils that we've been blessed with. Such an abundant crop. And uh, the working with these things, with the weight of these things, is great sort of training for being strengthened in the Spirit. And the beautiful thing about being strengthened in the Spirit is that we can say with Paul, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I saw myself fail at this. I know that I'm a failure. I fell into despair. You know? 
I went through a very difficult time with this, and I know perfectly well I have seen in abundant Technicolor 3 or 4D high-res clarity that I am entirely incapable of this thing that I care about. And then you just let it sit, and it just comes to you. It's a little bit like, uh, it's just a very trifling analogy, but it amazes me to think about the human brain, especially the aging brain. What a great blessing it is to have an aging brain, isn't it, good friends? And um, because you try to think of somebody's name, it's somebody you know darn well, you know? And you try to think of something, and I love that statement that, that uh, was it Curly on the Three Stooges? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens, you know? Uh, that's the state. You're just going, you know, and you're <laughs> pressing with your mind. What is the name of that actor? He was in the thing with that name, you know, and, and nothing's happening. And then, you know, you give up. You fail. You fall into a little micro despair. It's not the end of the world. You just couldn't think of the name of so-and-so. And then, you know, the next day when you hear a horn honk or the dog barks or something, you go, oh yeah, boom, and the name just comes to you like that. And that's the same thing. Get miraculous, see, it's from the Lord. The Lord wants to give it to you in such a way. Your effort did, in a way, lead to it coming to you, but not by any might of like, I thought hard and I came up with the name, you know. That, <laughs> that just happens less and less. It's just a miracle, isn't it? When he goes, oh, I just remembered it, you know. Because it feels like a lucky thing. It's a happy thing. The greatest strength uh, in the universe is the power of truth that comes from love. The food that feeds our spirit. That's what these passages were hinting at. Rooted and grounded in love. Strength by faith and so on. The spirit. These are all words that have to do with the truth that comes from love. It's the truth. Think about what, what Gideon overheard. He heard the truth. And it strengthened him. And it was words. Words strengthened him. The truth strengthened him. The word. Didn't we read about the word as the sword, the armor, the helmet of salvation? All that? The word is something that can strengthen us. The truth from the Lord's love that's in the word can strengthen us in these situations. Strengthen us to realize, oh, this is how this works. I mean, I think there's a truth in here. It may not be gospel, divine truth, but there's something about this where, oh, it helps me understand why that failing, why that plateau thing, why that despair is so important because the Lord's trying to feed the inner self. The, the outer self needs to be small, the inner self strong. That's, that's what we're going for here. And so that truth can strengthen us even as that outside gets weaker and feels humbled uh, and, um, and not strong. Mm. So if we can see it in the right light, we realize that this is a beautiful thing. It helps me understand so many aspects of, of human existence. Uh, it's a humbling thing to be alive because we try and we want to do things and we fail and we don't understand why we're failing or what's happening. And then sometimes we hardly even realize when you get that little bing, something goes bing, or you have an idea. You know, when you're working and working on a problem and then you fall asleep and you have a dream and it, oh, bing, and it just it goes like that. It, so the, the Lord just blesses you with that thing. If we didn't put our effort in, it wouldn't happen. If we didn't get beginner's luck, we wouldn't be encouraged to keep going. It's important that we put our effort in. 
But understand that the, the Lord, it's against the rules for him to just make us win every time and you double your effort and so you get double the return. It, it, can't, it can't work that way. That'll turn you into the Nephilim. And that's not what the Lord wants to do. So, in summary, being strengthened in the spirit as in the flesh is a function of our own effort to the point of failure, experiencing our weakness, and then being miraculously given a little strength that we didn't have before. And the foods that strengthen our spirit are love and truth. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, you who dwell in inaccessible light, who bowed down the heavens and came into this world. You went through your own weakness, through your own suffering, even through your own despair and the sense of the absence of the God that was within you in your own divine soul. We thank you, Lord, for carrying us. You know the feeling of our infirmities. You know what it is, the weakness that we go through, Lord. We thank you for bypassing that outer self and strengthening us with might in the inner self. We love your word and we thank you for the strength and the food that it gives us. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, and we shall grow stronger. <laughs>